How do we assess the environmental impact of construction materials? Some materials may enjoy a reputation as natural and sustainable. Timber quite literally grows on trees. It is abundant, it captures carbon from the atmosphere, and at the end of its life can decompose naturally, leaving no harmful waste. But some of the highest value timber comes from ancient forests. Demand for this timber can lead to the destruction of forests that will take generations to regrow. And planting forests to cost-effectively grow construction-grade timber may devastate biodiversity. Plastic has an increasingly malign reputation and is almost always made from fossil hydrocarbons. There is increasing concern about the spread of microplastics through our environment and into our bodies. But how would we have delivered billions of doses of COVID vaccines around the world and clean syringes to administer them without plastic? How many millions of people would have lost their lives or suffered life-limiting illness without it? How much extra land would need to be dedicated to industrial agriculture if foodstuffs could not be transported in shelf-life extending plastic packs? Hello and welcome to Engineering Matters. I'm Alex Conacher. And I'm Ross McPherson. In this episode, we've partnered with Tarmac to learn how we can assess the true environmental performance of construction materials at every stage of their life cycle. Pan's Hangar Park is a 1,000 acre space in Hertfordshire, just a few miles outside London and walkably close to the city's regional rail links. It's the sort of idyllic, rolling landscape that typifies the English countryside, with dense woodland that offers space for rich biodiversity. Gentle hills offer views of lakes and reed beds, and space for locals and visitors from the city to exercise and to explore. But it did not always look like this. Since the 1980s, parts of it have been used as a quarry, we're quarrying business, which in very simple terms, we're extracting minerals and products out of the ground to be used into construction materials. So that is a primary resource that once it's gone, it is gone. But a crucial part of what we do that I don't think often gets seen as much as something I'm actually very proud of is the whole life cycle of a quarrying process in terms of our permits and our obligations and what we do capacity-wise to restore that asset after it's been extracted. So at the end of the life of the operation, we'll be restoring something back to the community that will be like a, a park for the community to use or the education centres and wildlife reserves. My name is Alex Rice and I'm currently the National Commercial Director for Tarmac in the UK. Alex also has responsibilities relating to sustainability performance. Achieving that improvement requires a careful analysis of each impact throughout a material's life cycle. From extraction, through processing, its delivery to site, how it is used, how it performs, how long it will be useful, and at the end, how it will be reused, or how it will be sustainably disposed of and what will happen to the spaces that Tarmac works in once its work is done. 
We really evaluate our full supply chain when it comes to sustainability, making it front and centre of what we do rather than just being an end-use product with a lower footprint. So in terms of the extraction, making sure that the blast is the most efficient it can be, if there be a larger blast less frequently, using less materials, ensuring that the crushing operation is efficient, you know, utilising energies on site that are supplied clean. So it's looking at every little particular granular setup of the operation as how we can add value from a footprint sustainability point of view in everything that we do. And obviously then that, that passes right through our supply chain into the end product. And beyond that, through our restoration side of the business, is then extracting that product back from the infrastructure back into something that then is sustainable and useful to the community as well. Assessing each of those impacts is not a simple process. As we've seen, a naive, intuitive view can overlook important impacts, both negative and positive. My name is Emma Hines. I'm the Senior Construction Manager at Tarmac and part of the sustainability team. My role really is to support our stakeholders, both internally and externally, to ensure that they can consider the right solutions to create a sustainable built environment. So, for example, that, that would really revolve around perhaps assisting a client or customer, such as Balfour Beatty, with modelling a, a project's carbon baseline and providing lower carbon solutions to represented tarmac in the National Highway Sector Improvement Programme and assisting in their creation of product roadmaps. There are a number of tools she uses and also gets involved in the development of, which assess a project or materials overall sustainability. The construction industry and you know the wider design industry as well have been focusing on carbon and the impact on, on the environment for a very long time. You know, if you look at the RIBA plan of works, it, it embeds sustainability, material efficiency, resource efficiency into that, that the, the plan that an architect would put together. Structural engineers are always interested in the durability of a product, a durability of a structure, and actually that involves carbon and, and understanding the life cycle impacts of that building as well. Life cycle analysis, that can be done through using certain tools that are available already in the marketplace, and many organisations use those tools. It's also using standards such as PAS 2080 for measurement of carbon and infrastructure. And that's, the, you know, I'm involved in the, the rewrite of that right now to include buildings as well. You, you've got measurements such as BRIAM standards. You have other material uh, life cycle measurements such as environmental product declarations. So there's many ways and many tools already available to enable everyone to look at each part of this life cycle and develop a, you know, a holistic approach to the construction of, of whatever, the, you know, whatever project they're looking at. These tools and standards help material suppliers and their customers assess the impact of projects as they are built. But structures continue to have environmental impacts long after their construction. In the UK, there has been much discussion recently of what to do with buildings that no longer fit their original purpose. If these are demolished and new structures are built in their place, then their environmental impact over the long term is increased. I think that's a conversation and, a, and it's a conversation that has to be had with the client as well to understand. They're investing a huge amount of money to build a structure that they may only be using for 20, 30 years, maybe even less than that. And so the question should be, how do we make sure we're investing carbon into these constructions of these buildings? That's effectively what we're doing. How do we make sure that these, these structures can be reused? That, that already happens with a lot of concrete structures 
I'm thinking of there's a beautiful post office building in Sheffield that was uh, adapted into apartments, and and because it was made from that long life concrete structure, it enabled that the the internal workings of that building to be adapted and changed. And, and I guess what I'm saying is, if we're going to invest carbon, and and you know. Rightly so, steel, concrete, asphalt, whatever materials we're using, they all have a carbon impact. But if we're going to invest in it, let's think about making sure we can advance and extend that life for as long as possible. Thinking like this moves us beyond the working life of any individual designer or engineer. For their successors to make the most of earlier generations' carbon investments, those must be accurately recorded. The more extensive our recording of data about today's projects, the more sustainably we will be able to work in the future. If you go into an old building and ask to see that level of detail, you'll either be shown various cabinets full of many, 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 many folders that contain that information that might not have been kept up to date. And so we need to get better at being able to store, record and store and understand these in a, in a friendly information management environment. And that needs to be through data and through using things like BIM. I think it's incredibly important that we enable these records to be available so that we, you know, in, when we're in that in-use phase of a building, once, you know, once we've, you know, tarmac's moved on, the contractor's moved on, the client's using that building, just being able to know how to maintain and repair is just as important as understanding what materials and what products are available at the end of that asset's life and what can be done to reuse that building. It's incredibly important and, I, you know, we're not there yet. While Tarmac's parent company supplies a vast array of building materials, the division's core focus is on road building. Just as with buildings and other structures, precise records of how a road has been constructed allow for more efficient use of our carbon investments. It also takes the development of new material components and techniques. One of these components is RAP, or Recycled Asphalt Planings. Another is SAMI, or stress-absorbing membrane interfaces. And a third is the use of GGBS, or ground granulated blast furnace slag. All of these are used to reduce the carbon costs of paving roads. To improve their long-term performance, which reduces the need to spend carbon on travel to site and remedial works. And to make better use of materials recovered from roads at the end of their life. Roads are a vital part of any nation's economic infrastructure. They are built to tight standards and any organisation that wants to depart from these standards will need to demonstrate to regulators that this will bring benefits without negatively impacting the road's performance. Phil Greenan is Tarmac's Framework Delivery Manager for the South of England. He works alongside National Highways and other suppliers to support the delivery and maintenance of the road network, including the M25 London Orbital Motorway. Clients are now looking for um, whole life costs in, in relation to carbon, how long the product is going to last for in that cycle, reducing the number of interventions over the period of the pavement design life, whether that be 30, 40 or 50 years. And they're also looking for product longevity. Does it work? Does it last longer? Does it heal itself? Can we use recycled aggregates? Can we use new sustainable products as opposed to our traditional quarried minerals? 
Tarmac has developed a carbon calculator that allows them to capture data on the impact of a vast range of different design changes and construction techniques. And we're now able to automate that capture as well. Initial stages in the development of that was to capture the, the carbon footprint of the material from its, from its source in the quarry, via its journey in the train to, to the asphalt plant and then um, its onward journey invariably in a, in a lorry to, to a site and then that's capturing our carbon footprint with the machinery we, and plant we use. We are becoming more sophisticated and the clients are on that journey with us with regards to analysing what the design may have been in the, in the early days and then working with us through early contractor involvement, maybe adjusting the design or reducing the depth or reducing the volume of material or the number of layers of material that are required to, to service the assets need. And then we can retrospectively look back and, and understand how through engagement, we have reduced the carbon footprint from its original design concept stage This detailed capture of data allows Tarmac to not just demonstrate the benefits of small tweaks to an original design, but to make the case for much more substantial departures from standard. Highways England are much more willing to undertake in trials of new and innovative practices, products and procedures because they understand the need to trial. And to trial means to do something completely different to the standard to prove proof concept on a network and that would then be subject to a number of um, tests and monitoring maybe over one or two years. One innovation the company helped pioneer was the use of warm mix asphalt. This allows for reduced energy consumption compared to previous hot mix approaches. It is now the rule, not the exception. And that's been possible because Tarmac has been able to document its benefits and to demonstrate that these do not introduce new risks. They're looking for the quality of data. They're looking for regularity. They're looking for us to demonstrate confidence. They're looking for chain of custody and a responsible sourcing um, and development process. The quality of the data is key. This data now, we're able to feed this automated into cloud-based systems on, so that asset management of the asset we're working on is there in a digital format for the years to come. Tomac now routinely captures this data when a road is laid and stores this in the cloud. Road scanning equipment can return later and capture more detail on how the road has performed over time. With the, the data that we're collecting um, and building this huge data bank all around the asset, it, was, it will inform our life cycle, it will inform our budgets, it will inform our projected forecast workflows, but not over a 12-month period, not over a two-year period, but 7, 12, 20 years, because we'll know how the asset's performing, this big data is now being used to train AI and machine learning systems. These will be able to make long-term forecasts of a road's performance and maintenance needs. 
And by considering factors like the location and availability of materials that are ready for recycling, or of nearby virgin materials extracted from quarries, can develop the most effective asset-forward management plan. This has a major impact on clients' capital and carbon costs. We can now provide them with a 30-year suggested maintenance plan for, for their assets. And with a small tweak to a conventional approach, you can reduce interventions and save them maybe 20% over a life cycle of a pavement. The creation of big data sets like this is often seen as the preserve of big companies. And as they engage directly with major clients and government authorities, it does often fall to them to compile, analyze, and present it. But it also requires input from smaller suppliers. As larger companies move towards achieving net zero under scope three of the greenhouse gas protocols, this requires them to not just consider their own emissions. Scope one of the protocols. Or the impacts of generating the energy they use. Scope two. But also the impacts across their supply chain. At Tarmac, responsibility for assessing and managing these supplier impacts falls to Jonathan Harry, CRH's procurement director for the UK and Ireland. You know, I'm very keen on maximising the value from our supply chain. And that's not just in delivery, that is in sustainability, that is making sure we pick the right partners from a health and safety point of view, from a relationship point of view, and from people who share our desire to drive towards net zero. Alex and Phil have had to take a new approach to competition. It's no longer good enough to just offer the cheapest way to pave a road using standard procedures. Instead, by working with environmental experts like Emma, they must show how it is possible to create new approaches, which reduce the long-term carbon impacts of the company's products and services. And the role of procurement experts like Jonathan has changed equally radically. I think procurement for a long time has been, you know, you smash them over the head, get a cheaper price. In this new world, you keep changing suppliers and, and um, acting in a very tactical way. You're not going to get any value from your supply chain. You're going to get your product and you're going to get your service, but you're not going to get the value add. You're not going to be the, get the first mover advantage on new technology. Tarmac has worked closely with a range of suppliers to reduce its impacts. These include a new fully electric concrete mixer supplied by Renault. By using this alongside rail transport, they can, on suitable sites, completely eliminate the need for diesel power. It took three years of close collaboration with the equipment manufacturer to bring this into use. In London, they're using the world's first electric bond coat sprayer. These things take a lot of time and a lot of effort, but they're worth it because I think they do drive change. And I think if, if you've got that first move advantage with certain, certain customers, then you can sell that. You can try and commercialize that advantage. But also, as well as commercialising that, CRH and Tarmac have got their own targets, right? So all of this work that we're doing helps hit those targets. Gaining these advantages and meeting those targets takes partnership. The commercial guys talk about being a supplier of choice to our customers. I want us to be a customer of choice to our suppliers. We've got 3,000 suppliers, and I want to make sure that the cream of those suppliers, we get the best technology and new ideas first. The e-mixer came out of 
our first uh, innovation challenge. So my team set up um, a tarmac innovation challenge and went out to our supply chain, not just our suppliers, but universities, other other companies, we, we had it open uh, to anybody and said, look, you know, on our drive to net zero, who's got uh, any good ideas? The best ideas will go through and be shortlisted and the best ideas that will, you know, will win a prize and get promotion and be rolled out in the business. And the e-mixer uh, didn't win, but it got shortlisted and a couple of people were working really hard in the background, you know, for the last two and a half years, really, to secure the first one in the UK. Since then, we've done two other innovation challenges uh, where we've where the winners have been sort of maximizing the amount of recycled product in our bags. So the bags that go into the likes of B&Q and, and home base and all that, we've increased the recycled um, content of those bags to over 50%. Large companies can support smaller suppliers by committing to long-term contracts. They can foster and promote new ideas with programmes like the Innovation Challenges. But the biggest impacts are often achieved by close collaboration with the biggest suppliers. We've also created the Tarmac Decarbonisation Club, and it's a club of about 12 big suppliers who we have committed to work with on a whole myriad of different ideas driving towards net zero. So these will, this will help us directly and it will help them as well. So the likes of Shell, Total, you know, Trafigura, these massive players with us in oil and all that, you know, looking at biobitumins, looking at different things in a way to decarbonize together. Sustainability is a key goal, but true sustainability cannot come if the costs are so high that they drive businesses into failure. I'm an active advocate for sustainability and for the drive to net zero. And I honestly believe if you position it right, it doesn't have to cost the earth. Because I am a, at heart, I'm a commercial guy who likes the deal. But I don't think they're mutually exclusive. I think you can do both. I, I'm not saying it's going to easy and I'm not saying it's not going to cost anything, but I am saying that if you're smart, you pick the right suppliers and the right schemes, there are ways and means of making it work. Be it uh, long-term funding by banks or be it a commercialised proposition that our, supply, that our customers really like and are willing to pay for, all those sorts of things. It's not a tarmac thing, it's not a CRH, it is a shared thing throughout all industries and all operations. So in everything that we do, we have that at the forefront to really advise and guide and promote what can be the most sustainable solution. We have a responsibility to be the good steward over the land that we're managing from, from the start of the quarrying process to how we restore and leave that piece of land at the end, at the end of its quarrying life and what actual benefits we can bring after that as well. So it's incredibly important to consider biodiversity in part of that there's a lot of focus at the moment on biodiversity net gain so understanding you know what 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 ecological and environmental systems are there and actually where how can we operate to have a net gain on that and a positive impact on that in the future Engineering Matters is a production of Reby Media.
This episode was written and produced by Will North. Editing and hosting by me, Alex Conacher. And also hosted by me, Ross McPherson. Sound engineering by Ross McPherson. Series supervision by John Young. And our own collaboration sensation is Rory Harris. Special thanks to our episode partner, Tarmac. And thank you for listening. You can find Engineering Matters on all podcast apps, on our website, engineeringmatters.reb.media, on Facebook, on Twitter, and on LinkedIn. 